What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. start this morning having you to just take a moment to think about how you personally came to Jesus and put your trust in him. You know, what caused you to do that? Who was a part of that? Was there anybody who influenced that, who shared with you, who uh, just brought you? Did you come to Jesus listening to a pastor or an evangelist preach the gospel? Did you come to him because somebody told you about him? Uh, Did you come to Jesus because you were invited to church uh, and you heard about him there? Or did you come to Jesus just because, you know, the Lord called you? Maybe you were just, you know, in your own room reading the Bible and the power of the Holy Spirit just kind of made clear to you who Jesus was. But uh, the reason I want you to think about how you came to Jesus is because the rest of chapter one here in John, we're going to see several individuals, four specifically, coming to Jesus in in four different ways. And as we look at these individuals, the the big thing that I want us to focus on is the role that other people play in helping these individuals come come to Jesus, follow Jesus, get introduced to Jesus, hear about who Jesus is. Now, as you think about how you personally came to Jesus, I'm sure that you can think of, I know I can, people that played that important role in your life. Uh, those people that kind of helped you get to him. Maybe they were praying for you for years, those that invited you to church, those that shared the gospel, or maybe it was just those who lived that Christ-like life in front of you, and that was something that just drew you to what they had and, and the peace they had and the way in which they lived. Hey, you know, some of these people are probably family friends, neighbors, perhaps a pastor. For some of you, maybe it was a stranger. You know, maybe someone came and shared the gospel with you and you never met them before. They gave you a track and you read that and and you came to know Jesus. But for most of us here, there was a, a specific person or perhaps specific people in our life that helped us come to Jesus. And as we look at the people here in the Gospel of John who helped others come to Jesus, I just want you to be thinking about those who influenced your life, those who God used to help you come to Jesus. And I also want you to think about what your life would have been like if you didn't have those people. You know, where would you be right now if those people who shared the gospel with you or prayed for you or, or invited you to church or, or did something to help you come to Jesus? If you didn't have those people in your life, where would you be right now? Perhaps for some of us, we'd still be lost, still on that path to hell. 
So as we look at the people here in the Gospel of John that that played this role in helping others come to Jesus, the first thing I just want you to do is just kind of think back to those who helped you and just be thankful that the Lord brought those people in your life. Be grateful that they were willing to share with you, willing to reach out to you, willing to love you enough to bring you to Jesus. But the second thing I want you to think about, I think is something even more important. Do you have people in your life right now that you are bringing to Jesus? Are there people that you can look at, maybe coworkers, family, neighbors, friends, that you say, you know, I am actively seeking to bring them to Jesus, to share the gospel with them, to see them come to know who Jesus is. And that's really one of the challenges that I want us to take on board as we look at this section and see these people who bring others to Jesus is that we would be those who do that as well. So one of the main things that we're going to look at this morning are four different individuals who come to Jesus in four different ways, and we're going to see the people who help them do that. We're also going to see the response of Jesus. As people come to him, Jesus is going to respond to each individual a little bit differently, and we're going to see what those responses are. But there's also a second main thing that we're going to look at in our verses this morning, and that is four different witnesses that testify to who Jesus is is to his identity. You know, last week we noted that John, the author of this gospel, transitioned from kind of sharing about who Jesus is to introducing us to eyewitness testimony to help prove who Jesus was. And that first eyewitness was the one that we looked at last week, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he came and he testified, one, that Jesus is eternal. He testified that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he testified that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, in our verses this morning, we're going to see John give one more testimony to a different group of people. And then we're going to see three other individuals who give testimony uh, of who Jesus is. And these three individuals are all disciples, the ones that we think of of the 12. They're going to be three of the 12 disciples of Jesus. They're going to give testimony about who Jesus is. Now, something great about these verses is the testimony that these four people give concerning who Jesus is are directly connected with the four different ways that people come to Jesus. You see that these testimonies, these declarations of who Jesus is are going to be so important to the people hearing it to help them desire to come and be willing to come and meet with Jesus. So these verses are going to give us even more evidence to help prove that Jesus is God, which is kind of the heart of John's gospel. But they're also going to share with us different ways that people come to Jesus and those who are influential in helping that process happen. And so there's a lot that we can be challenged by and learn. And so let's start with the first testimony that we see here. It's the testimony of John the Baptist and the first people that come to Jesus through this testimony in verses 35 through 39, which says this. Again, the next day, John stood with the two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. 
So here we have John the Baptist on the scene again. We left him last week, and now it's a day later. The next day comes along, and he's with two people that we're told are his disciples. Now, remember, John is a very significant individual. He had a very prominent ministry. And so just like with Jesus, there were those who say, yeah, we want to follow John. but We want John to disciple us. We want to be his disciple. And so John had disciples. He had people who were following him. And we see two of them right here are standing with John. And the interesting thing is that in verse 40, we're told that one of these disciples was Andrew. Now, um, John doesn't tell us who the other disciple is. Now, this is interesting. Something that I noted when we looked at the background information of this uh, gospel is that throughout the whole gospel, John never mentions himself once by name. He sometimes refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. And in instances like this, he just doesn't refer to himself at all. He just leaves the person nameless. But we have good reason to believe that the one is Andrew, because we're told that, and the one that is not mentioned by name is actually John, the author of this gospel. Henry Alford wrote this about John being the person who's mentioned here. Who the other disciple was is not certain, but considering first that the evangelist never names himself in his gospel, and second, that this account is so minutely accurate as to specify even the hours of the day, and in all respects bears marks of an eyewitness. And again, third, that this other disciple from this last circumstance certainly would have been named had not the name been suppressed for some special reason. We are justified in inferring that it was John himself. And so you have two of the disciples of John the Baptist. You got Andrew and most likely John, the author of this gospel, that they're standing with John the Baptist. He's the one that they've been following. He's the one that has been discipling them. And I want you to notice what happens. Jesus is walking by. And notice what John the Baptist says. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, last week we looked at, this is something that John said to a different group, the religious leaders. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now he sees Jesus again. And here are his two disciples, Andrew and John, with him. And speaking to Andrew and John, he says once again, hey, behold, right there, Jesus, that is the Lamb of God. Now, notice that what Andrew and John do after hearing the testimony of John the Baptist here in verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something important here. The reason that Andrew and the reason that John make a decision to start following Jesus is because of this testimony, that the preaching of John the Baptist as he declares, hey, behold, the Lamb of God, that's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. These two disciples of John the Baptist now say, all right, we are going to follow Jesus. We're going to come to Jesus because of this testimony of John the Baptist. You know, I think it's something important to note here is Andrew and John are John the Baptist disciples, but notice he's directing them to now start following Jesus and stop following him. Guys, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one that you need to be following. That's the one that I want to point you to. It's not about me and following me. You should ultimately be following Jesus. You see, John, something we see in his life is he's always directing people to Jesus. He's always promoting Jesus and not himself. 
And this is something that's so important for all of us as Christians to do. We should always be directing people to Jesus. We should always be promoting Jesus, not directing people to us, not promoting us. They don't need us. They need Jesus. The goal of ministry is not to get people following you. It's to get people following Jesus. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, The preacher's eye should be on his master while he points to his master. They preach Christ best who see him best. You know, as followers of Jesus, we personally should always keep our eyes on Jesus. But then the goal should be, hey, as we're looking to Jesus, we should be directing others to him as well. Not directing them to us, but directing them to Jesus. So the testimony of John the Baptist that Jesus is the Lamb of God, it causes his two disciples, Andrew and John, to start following Jesus. And as Andrew and John start following Jesus, notice what we're told. So here's Jesus walking and here's Andrew and John following after him. Literally, in verse 38, we're told this. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? So Jesus is walking and he notices Andrew and John coming behind him and he stops and he turns to them and he asks them this very important question. What do you guys seek? And this is a question that Jesus still continually asks today. What do you seek? Now, really, the ultimate thing that Jesus wants is for us to seek him. You see, people are seeking all sorts of different things, and oftentimes they even come to Jesus for things that ultimately aren't the best things to come to Jesus for. We're going to see in John chapter 6, and I'll jump forward real quick, verse 26, Jesus says this, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Notice Jesus reveals something here. You guys are seeking me, but you're not seeking me because of who I am. You're not seeking me because I'm the Messiah, because I'm God. You're ultimately seeking me because of what I can do for you. You're not seeking me because you want a relationship with me. You're seeking me because you were filled. Right before this, 5,000 people, at least men, then you got women and children, five loaves and two fish. Jesus feeds them all. They're coming to Jesus because, man, you're a great guy to have around. We can have free food all we want. You can always provide for us. We're seeking you for what you can give to us instead of seeking you for who you are and a relationship with you. And Jesus calls them out on that. Now, sadly, there's a lot of people today. They're not seeking Jesus for who he is and for a relationship with him. They're seeking Jesus for what he can do for them. Jesus is asking people today, what do you seek? Seeking me? Or are you seeking the stuff that I can give? Seeking what I can do for you or who I am in a relationship with you? Now, the way that Andrew and John answer this question is by saying something that at first maybe seems a little bit odd. Uh, A rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? What? (laughs) What are you guys seeking? Uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? It doesn't seem to answer the question, but actually in this statement, you see kind of the heart of where Andrew and John are. First of all, by calling Jesus rabbi or teacher, that this was a term that they would have used for John the Baptist because he was their rabbi. He was their teacher. They were disciples of him. You wouldn't just go tell anybody that. That was like, hey, you're the person I want to be my teacher. And so what they're doing in making this statement to Jesus of what do you seek? 
Well, actually, we're seeking to no longer have John the Baptist as our teacher and to have you. We want to now have you as the teacher. You as the one that we want to follow. We want to know where you're staying because we want to go there and be with you. Well, Jesus' response to them is, come and see. You want to know where I'm going? Come on, come with me. Come and see. Be with me. Stay where I'm staying. Spend time with me. So they came and saw where Jesus was staying, and they remained with him all that day. So the first testimony we see is from John the Baptist. It's directed to his disciples, Andrew and John. The testimony is the same one that we saw last week. Jesus is the Lamb of God. But because of this testimony, it leads Andrew, it leads John to come to Jesus and start following Jesus. Well, now that Andrew has discovered who Jesus is, he's going to be the second person to give eyewitness testimony concerning something about Jesus, but he's also going to be the second person to lead someone else to come to Jesus. Let's see what happens in verses 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother, own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You were Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So notice this. Andrew hears from John, Hey, Jesus is the Lamb of God. It causes him to come after Jesus, to spend a full day with Jesus. And now he's convinced of who Jesus is. And notice what he does once he knows who Jesus is in verse 41. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So you ever see Jesus Christ, it's ultimately Christ is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. It's just speaking of Jesus the Messiah. That's what Andrew, hey, well, we found him. The one that we've been waiting for. I mean, the Jews have been waiting for so long for the Messiah to show up. And Andrew's now convinced Jesus is that man. And what do I want to do? I want to come to my brother Simon and I want to tell him the good news that we have found the Messiah. But notice what else Andrew does after giving this testimony that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-expected Savior of Israel. We're told that he also brought Simon to Jesus. You know, it's interesting in the Bible where we're not told that much about Andrew. And there's actually other disciples that we're told even less of. We have people like Peter where we're told a lot about. But, but Andrew, we really don't have that many things said. But what I find interesting is almost every time Andrew comes on the scene and something's said about him, we see him bringing people to Jesus. And what a wonderful thing to be known for. It starts here with bringing his brother to Jesus. And then he brings the little boy with five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And later on in John's gospel, we're going to see he actually brings Gentiles who are searching. Hey, come to Jesus. He's the answer. But Andrew's always bringing people to Jesus. And you know, people like Andrew who are willing to bring others to Jesus, they are so needed in the world today. I think most of us could probably say we had an Andrew in our life. Somebody who told us about Jesus, somebody who loved us enough to communicate the gospel, to communicate who Jesus was, to invite us to meet with Jesus. 
And that is something that each one of us should be for others. We need to be like Andrew. Be willing to tell others what we know. Hey, well, we discovered who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. We need to share that message and communicate that to those who don't know it. So Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus. And notice how Jesus responds. We're told Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, or as it's translated in the other Gospels, Peter, which is translated a stone. So notice that Simon comes to Jesus, first time he meets Jesus, and notice what Jesus does. Jesus changes his name to Peter, meaning a stone, something that's stable, something that's firm. Now, I find this very interesting because if you go through the Gospels as we are here, well, we're going to find that Peter's anything but this. You know, you wouldn't describe him as, as the stone, as the one who's firm and stable and trustworthy. I mean, he's a guy who's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Probably the greatest failure he's known for is when he denies Jesus three times. That definitely doesn't fit under someone who's firm and, and stable and, and trustworthy. But yet when he first comes to Jesus, notice Jesus says, this is what you are. You are Simon. You're the guy who is what we see in the Gospels, the guy who's constantly putting his foot in his mouth, saying silly things, denying me, but you're going to be something different. I know what I'm, gonna trans what I'm going to do to change your life. You're going to be Peter the stone. And I love when we get to the book of Acts that we see this man who goes from denying Jesus to be the first one to preach the gospel, the one that's a pillar in the early church. He does become that stable, firm force that God uses in a powerful way. So in giving Simon a new name, Jesus is telling him what kind of man he's going to change him into. This is what I love about Jesus. You know, when we come to him, you know, we get saved. We're so messed up. We got all these issues. And Jesus says, you know what? I know what I can do in your life. I know how I can change you. I see, you know, the, the finished product. I see what I'm able to do in you. Yeah, you might be, you know, the, the, the messed up person here, but I'm going to do great things through you. I'm going to change your life. And I love the fact that he sees the potential and what he can do in each one of us. You know, most of us, I'm sure, are very familiar with Peter, one of the biggest characters in all the Bible. If I were just to sit back and ask you to, to shout out, you know, different things that you think of when you hear Peter, we'd have all these different stories, all these different things that God did in and through Peter's life, especially in the book of Acts and how he used him in such miraculous ways. You know, but sometimes when we think about all the ways that God used Peter, the proclaiming of the gospel and 3,000 people getting saved, the miracles, all that stuff, we often don't think of Andrew. Oh, Peter, look at all the things that God did. But, but, but we forget sometimes to remember who's the one that brought Peter to Jesus to begin with? Who's the one to share with Peter about Jesus to begin with? That was Andrew. Andrew was that guy who ultimately God used to take Peter from where he was to coming to know and follow Jesus. You know, one of the amazing things about telling and bringing people to Jesus is you never know who that person's going to end up being, what they're going to do. I'm sure when Andrew came excited sharing with his brother, he had no concept 
that Peter was going to be this pillar of the early church, preaching the gospel, thousands of people getting saved, doing miraculous things. I'm sure he wasn't thinking, wow, look at what God's going to do. I better tell him because God's going to do this great work. He didn't know that. But you never know when you're sharing with people what God's ultimately going to do in that person's life. Edward Kimball, probably someone that you'd never heard of, just a regular Christian man, had a burden for a shoe salesman who was this young man, and he would walk by the shoe store each and every day. He would pray for this young man. He was a shy, timid guy, and he didn't like to go share the gospel with people. And so he finally just feels this burden, and he goes into the shoe store, and he shares the gospel with this little young shoe salesman named Dwight L. Moody. And this guy accepts the gospel. If you know anything about D.L. Moody, he's one of the greatest evangelists of his day. And this gentleman who decided, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. I'm going to share the gospel. He had no concept of what the shoe salesman would become, but yet God used D.L. Moody in these powerful ways. But you know what? At one of D.L. Moody's crusades, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham accepts the gospel. Once again, he's just an average Christian. He's not some great evangelist. He's not someone who was really wonderful at sharing the gospel. And, 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 but you know what? He's in this farm town in North Carolina at a farmer's meeting. He decides, you know what? I'm going to get up. I'm going to share the gospel. He shares the gospel, and there's just one person who's there who is willing to receive it, a young man by the name of Billy Graham. And as you probably well know, that name, probably one of the greatest evangelists ever to live. But, you know, I think it's interesting. We hear stories. We're familiar with D.L. Moody. We're familiar with Billy Graham. But we don't think of Edward Kimball. We don't think of Mordecai Ham. We don't think of those who are kind of the behind-the-scenes people who are willing to say, you know what? I'm going to go share the gospel. I'm going to go reach this person. I'm going to be that person that brings them to Jesus. And look at, because of their faithfulness, what God was able to do with these individuals that came to know Christ. So we need to be like Andrew. Tell people about Jesus, bring people to Jesus, and you never know who the Lord might impact as you do this. You know, statistics reveal that most people come to saving faith through someone that they know. I think it's important as we do going door to door, as we go to the park, as we share with strangers, that's a good thing for us to do. But statistically speaking, the most common way that people come to faith in Jesus Christ is because someone that they know communicates the gospel. Someone that they know shares with them about Jesus. So I say that because there are people in your sphere of influence, people that you have a relationship with that I do not, that others do not, that the Lord is able to use you in a way that is the most likely way that they're going to come to know him. You can take that opportunity to share Christ with them. There's a sad statistic that the first year that someone's saved is when they invite the most people to Jesus. That's great that when someone first gets saved, they invite a lot of people to Jesus. The sad part is, after that first year, it's a huge decline for how many people you invite after that. Statistically speaking, obviously it's not every believer. After five years of being saved, many people don't invite someone or share the gospel again in their whole Christian life, which is crazy. You would think, as I'm growing and maturing in Jesus, as I learn more about him, as I'm more spiritually mature, the byproduct would be I'm sharing him more. I'm communicating him more. But sadly, statistics show 
The first year, when the baby Christians are just excited that they're now saved, they're the ones going out and inviting others to Jesus, inviting people to church, sharing the gospel, and it's those who are the seasoned saints who aren't doing anything. Let's not continue that. Let's change that statistic. Let's be those who say, hey, we are growing in the Lord, and we're going to be those who share Him more as we mature, not less. So the second testimony we see is from Andrew to his brother Simon. Hey, we found the Messiah. And he brings his brother to Jesus. And because of Andrew's testimony about Jesus, Simon comes to Jesus. He gets his name changed to Peter the Stone. And he starts following Jesus. Well, now we're going to see our third witness, the third person who comes to Jesus. And they're going to come in a very different way. Notice what we see in verses 43 through 45. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is one I love. This is one of my favorite ones. You know, we see John the Baptist, influential, and Andrew and John coming to Jesus. We see Andrew, very influential, and and Peter coming to Jesus. But now, Jesus is the main character, and we're told that Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. You know, there's certain times in the gospel, we're going to see in actually John chapter 4, Jesus needed to go to Samaria. He wanted to go to Galilee. Well, why? What purpose did he have in these places? Well, right here, there was a person that he wanted to meet, someone that he wanted to call to follow him, and that person was Philip. And notice we have Jesus going out and finding Philip, not Philip going out and finding Jesus. Jesus comes to Philip. Jesus says, hey, Philip, I want you to follow me. I love this about Jesus. I love that he seeks us out and asks us to follow him. And what a privilege that is. The privilege to follow Jesus. And Philip takes him up on that. Philip willingly chooses to follow Jesus. And notice that Philip came to Jesus as a result of just the direct call of Jesus. No one told Philip, hey, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God. No, he had just an encounter with Jesus personally and came to accept and follow him. You know, this is a way that, you know, is not maybe as normal, but it's a way that God does work in the world today to reach people for him. Especially in places where Christianity is very slim, where missionaries have lots of trouble getting the gospel out. I've heard many stories of places like the Middle East and other places where it's very close to missionaries, very close to Christianity, where you hear stories like this, where people come to Christ because of a vision of Jesus, literally like, or in a dream. And you hear these stories where we typically hear, well, a missionary went and shared the gospel and the person heard the gospel and they got saved. Well, what happens when there's no missionary who's able to go? When that person is just by themselves and they're seeking and they're they're open and they want to know if there's a God. Jesus is coming and meeting those people, revealing himself to those people. There's many stories like this where Jesus is the one initiating it, where Jesus is the one meeting and people are coming to know him through this. 
But I do want to say the most common way the Lord works is he uses us. That's why he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, the great commission. He wants us to be a part of this. But if there's places that we're unable to reach or unwilling to go, he'll go. He's going to still reach people, but he wants to use you and use me in the process. Well, after Philip is found by Jesus and called by Jesus, we see just like with Andrew, Philip's like, man, I know who he is. I want to go and share this with others. So he goes and he finds Nathaniel. Now, this is interesting because Nathaniel is not referred to by name in the other Gospels because he's referred to as Bartholomew. Bar means son of. You probably remember that Jesus says that to Simon Bar Jonah, meaning your full name is Simon, the son of Jonah. Jonah's your dad. You're Simon, Simon Bar Jonah. And so Bartholomew, his full name is Nathaniel Bartholomew, Nathaniel, the son of Tholomew. But in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's just referred to as Bartholomew, one of the 12 disciples. Here, John gives his first name, and now we have kind of the the full name. He's Nathaniel uh, Bartholomew. And so Philip comes to Nathaniel, and notice what he says. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip's testimony is, hey, we found him of whom the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets have testified, have prophesied of. You know, just like Andrew says, we found the Messiah. Philip is, hey, hey, we've been waiting. There's all these prophecies. There's actually over 315 prophecies specifically about the Messiah. And he's saying, hey, we found the one that we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior that has been prophesied throughout the Old Testament that he would come He's here. Philip shares with Nathaniel, he's here. We found him. So this wonderful testimony of Philip about who Jesus is. So Philip shares this important truth about this with uh, with, uh, Nathaniel. And now we're going to see Nathaniel as the fourth person who's going to come to Jesus and also the fourth witness about who Jesus is in verses 46 through 51. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how did you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now remember, Philip not only tells Nathaniel that you know, he's found the one prophesied in the Old Testament, but he specifically says he is Jesus of Nazareth. And right when Nathaniel hears that, you're telling me the Messiah is of Nazareth? And his response to that is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, Nazareth was just a small town, very unimportant, 
very insignificant. And as people were waiting for the Messiah, they were not thinking he's going to be from some insignificant town like Nazareth. I mean, Jerusalem, yes. Nazareth, no. And so when, when Nathaniel hears this, he's kind of thinking, I don't know, Philip. I don't know if that could be the case. I don't think you truly found the one that the Old Testament prophesied of if he's of Nazareth. I mean, surely nothing good could come from that little unimportant, insignificant town. But notice how Philip responds. It's a good, good, good question. I mean, can anything good, could really the Messiah come from Nazareth? Come on, Philip. And Philip just says, come and see. Now, Philip might not have had an answer to that question. That's a good question, Nathaniel. I don't know. Or maybe just like, you know, I don't want to argue about that. Because the reality is, if you'll just come and see Jesus for yourself, the answers that you're seeking are going to be found. And I think this is an important thing that we should keep in mind as we seek to share with people about Jesus and bring them to Jesus. Because, you know, sometimes... People give this excuse of like, oh, I can't share the gospel because I don't have all the answers that skeptics might have about Christianity and they might throw something my way and, and I won't know how to answer it. And so I'm just not going to share with anyone. I'm not going to invite anyone to, to come and follow Jesus. But I love what Andrew does. He says, just come and see. You, know, you don't have to know everything to be able to share the gospel. You know, the reality is, you know, the, just keep pointing people to Jesus, helping them see who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And if they ask you a question that you don't have the answer for, just be honest and say, yeah, you know, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find the answer for you, and then we'll discuss that. But let's get back to me sharing with you who Jesus is and what you've done, because oftentimes a lot of the questions that people pose aren't really sincere questions that they're wanting answers for. A lot of times they're questions to sidetrack you to try to disprove or like, you know, whoa, you know, this or that they'll throw out. And it's not really a sincere, like if you were to answer this, then I would accept Jesus right now. It's more to kind of debunk Christianity. And so, you know what, just get back to Jesus and if you need to get back to them on those questions, that's great. But just come to Jesus. Come and see. That should be our focus. That's where we keep bringing people, pointing them to him. So Nathaniel, he goes and he sees. He takes Philip up on this. Okay, fine. I'll go check him out. And notice how Jesus responds to Nathaniel as he comes and sees Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This is actually quite a compliment that Jesus gives to Nathanael. When he says, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, it's meaning that there was nothing tricky or deceptive in Nathanael. He didn't wear a mask. He was genuine and true. Now this is interesting because as we're going to look through the gospels, the Pharisees were the opposite of this. They, they wore the mask. Oh, we're so spiritual and godly when really they weren't. They weren't genuine and true at all. They were full of deceit. And so here's Nathaniel, really the opposite of what the religious leaders of that day were. Here's a genuine guy. He's not trying to put on a mask. He's not trying to be fake. He's not trying to pretend to be something that he's not. And then Jesus sees him and says that about him, a great compliment about him. And Nathaniel's response is, how do you know me? I mean, how could you make that statement? How would you know that truth about me. And Jesus answers and said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
You know, Jesus knew all about Nathanael. He knew it was inside of him. He wasn't full of deceit. He knew it was outside. He knew where he was. He just gave two quick little examples, but he knows everything about Nathaniel. And guess what? He knows everything about you and everything about me as well. And the wonderful truth is, even though he knows everything about you, every sin you committed, every thought that you think, he still loves you. He still wants a relationship with you. You know, so often we're trying to hide what we really are, but thinking, oh, God would never want me if he knew what I was like. He would never love me if he knew what I was like, because that's how we are with people. Let me put on the mask. Let me put on the disguise. Let me try to pretend to be something I'm not, hoping that people don't really find out what I really am like so that they'll continue to love me. But the reality is God sees you as you are, and he already loves you. He already sacrificed himself for you. You don't have to try to, you know, pretend in front of him. You can be real and allow him to work in you and change you. Jesus knew Nathaniel inside and out. And when Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel's blown away by that. What? How in the world could you know that? And notice what it causes Nathaniel to say, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Here's the fourth testimony, the testimony from Nathaniel. Jesus, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Nathaniel's now convinced this is who Jesus is just by this first encounter of Jesus knowing so much about Nathaniel. And you know, Jesus is kind of probably maybe even chuckling a little bit. He's like, because of this, because I told you this, you believe this? And I'm sure it made him happy because there's so many people that Jesus does these miracles in front of and they don't believe. He shows them so much more evidence of who he is and they don't believe. And all he does with Nathaniel is say, hey, you're someone with no deceit and I saw you when you were under the fig tree. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus is kind of taken back by that. And he says, you know what? That's great. I'm glad that you believe that. But you know what? You're going to see much greater things than these. If this is all it takes for you to believe in who I am, wait till you see what I'm about to do in the next three years. Wait till you see the miracles. Wait till you see all that happens. Wait till you see the greatest one of all, my resurrection. Then you're really going to know that I'm the son of God and the king of Israel. But notice that he gives one thing that Nathaniel's going to get to see. Something that's a greater thing than what he's seen yet. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is kind of an interesting thing that Jesus shares here. And most commentators believe that Jesus is referring back to Genesis chapter 28. Remember in Genesis 28, we have Jacob's ladder. Jacob is in this dream. He sees this ladder from earth to heaven and angels are ascending and descending on this ladder. And most commentators believe that this is what Jesus is referring to, that he's saying he is the ladder. He is the link between heaven and earth. He is the one who reveals God to men and he's also the one that takes men to God. He opens the way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. Oh, Nathaniel, you think you've seen something in my statement? Wait till you see who I really am. Wait till you see that I'm the one who can take you and others to heaven. 
So the fourth testimony that we see is from Nathanael. Nathanael testifies that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the King of Israel. But notice the reason. The reason Nathanael comes to this place is because Philip was willing to come to Nathanael and say to him, we have found the one that the Old Testament has prophesied about. Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come with me, and we're going to go see Jesus together. And Nathanael comes, meets Jesus for himself, and believes in who Jesus is. So in these verses, we have four powerful testimonies about who Jesus is. John the Baptist testifies, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Andrew testifies, Jesus is the Messiah. Philip testifies, Jesus is the one who was prophesied of in the Old Testament. Nathaniel testified that Jesus is the Son of God and King of Israel. But we also have four different ways that people come to Jesus. Andrew came to Jesus because of the preaching of John the Baptist. Peter came to Jesus because Andrew told him about Jesus and brought him to Jesus. Philip came to Jesus because Jesus found him and called him. And Nathanael came to Jesus because Philip told him about Jesus and encouraged him to come and see Jesus for himself. And I just want to end with some encouragement, especially Andrew and Philip. I understand last week when we look at John the Baptist, we see that special calling. We see that he's born with, you know, the Holy Spirit empowering him. You know, I can see how maybe you would think, well, th- th- I'm not John the Baptist. Well, fair enough. But you know what? Andrew and Philip, they were just ordinary people. There was nothing, you know, super special, like, oh, wow, I could never be like them. They were just like you and I. And how does God use them? He uses them in powerful ways because they're willing just to say, I found the truth of who Jesus is, and now I'm going to share it with people that I know. I'm going to bring them to Jesus. And that is something that you can do. That is something that I can do. And I just want to leave you with a challenge. A challenge for this week, and I hope this challenge extends beyond this week, but I would just really challenge you this week to share Jesus with at least one person. And even now, I'm sure you can think of someone in your life that maybe you work with, that's a family member, that's a neighbor. You know, maybe it's just like, even as we, we noted, of the passion for the, 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 the young shoe salesman. Hey, let's go share with someone that the Lord has placed on our hearts communicate who Jesus is. And I would encourage you as well, invite them to church so they can experience worshiping Jesus, seeing that they can experience being taught the word of God, just coming with believers that are gathering together and just kind of see that for the first time. But be like Andrew, be like Philip, and watch what God does in the lives of the people that we share with, the lives of the people that we invite. And who knows? what the Lord will do in those people's lives.